Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Airway First, the podcast from the Children's Airway First Foundation. I'm your host, Rebecca Downing. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Ben Moralia. Dr. Moralia is a graduate of SUNY at Buffalo School of Dental Medicine. He's a member of the American Dental Association, the New York State Academy of General Dentistry, the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, and the Ninth District Dental Society. He has 26 years general practice experience in Mount Kisco, New York, including 17 years interceptive orthodontic experience, where his focus has been on early childhood growth and development. Dr. Moralia lectures nationally on sleep disordered breathing, clear aligner therapy, and cranial facial development. He is on the board of directors of the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry and the President's Council of Northern Westchester Hospital at Mount Kisco, New York. Dr. Moralia has been recognized multiple times as a leader in continuing education by Dentistry Today magazine. You can find out more about Dr. Moralia at bgmdental.com and airwayhealthsolutions.com. And now, let's jump into my interview with Dr. Ben Moralia. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Moralia. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's just dive right in. Um, Airway dentistry, uh, for a lot of our our listeners, parents especially, this is a newer term. Um, We're kind of hearing it, but still don't really understand what that means. So what all does that encompass as far as what's the difference between an airway dentist and a regular dentist? And then, you know, what your practice might look like compared to traditional dentistry. Right, right. Yes. Excellent. And so, yeah, airway dentistry and those kind of terms are kind of newer. But um, the idea is that if you think about dentistry, you think about teeth. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, dentistry has a uh, almost a tooth first philosophy, foundation and history. And that's fine. We do have to pay attention to the teeth. The teeth are part of right. dentistry. However, right. there, there is a different way to look at it. And so we're, we're looking at things a little bit differently now because while we see the teeth first, the teeth are held in by the jaws and we have this upper and lower jaw. So the upper and lower jaw, it turns out that their development affects how well we can breathe through our nose. So nose breathing isn't just automatic. It has to do with how well your jaws grew when you were little. And the way we think about it now is, you know, maybe dentistry should have a little bit of a paradigm shift to being growth and development first or foundation first, teeth second. So in the previous rendition of thinking about dentistry, you're thinking teeth first, but in what we're Mm -hmm. trying to accomplish is dentistry thinking about jaw growth and development first, foundation first. So when the word airway dentistry kind of pops into play, what you're thinking about there is, well, if you hear airway dentistry or airway dentist or airway, anything like that, now, you know, you're probably dealing with someone who's paying attention to the foundation first. And when I say foundation, I mean, jaws, the jaw structure first and the teeth second. So, you know, just like you would build a house on a foundation, you, you don't try to build the house and then slide the foundation under it. You want to put the foundation down and you have to have it mapped out perfectly. Then everything goes up beautifully from there. So we think about dentistry going forward and we're thinking about airway dentistry, what it means to me and others as we're trying to spread the word is that we're more focused on the foundation and its growth and development so that you would have a better breather as well as really nice teeth where they belong. So the good news is 
if you guide the foundation to grow properly and you're focused on the airway, that's the resulting benefit of foundation first philosophy. It turns out when your foundation grows better and you have better jaw growth and development, your teeth go closer to where they belong. So even though we say teeth are second, they're going to be in better shape when you focus on the foundation first. So airway dentistry typically means that you have a focus on the foundation, the jaw growth and development early, and then we kind of focus on the teeth second. And when you say early, how early are you talking? So yes, in, in my world, it begins about three to four years old. And we have others in the industry who start even earlier. So as a general mm-hmm. dentist, I'm comfortable with children three to four years old, and we can work on them then because by then we already have the signs and symptoms of underdeveloped jaws and poor breathing and the other symptoms that come with that. So I'm comfortable three to four, but that doesn't mean that's where you could start. Some of the symptoms do appear between one and two. There are even early symptoms uh, right at birth or just after that could be picked up. So when you're thinking about that age range, I think about some of my early mentors, like a Dr. Kevin Boyd, who is a pediatric dentist, and he certainly can begin early, you know, pretty much at birth and on. And some other ones would be like Dr. Lawrence Kotlow, who is like a frenum revision specialist. And I know we'll get into tongue tie at some point. So then these are two gentlemen who has pediatric dentists. They start even before me, and it could be at birth if there was difficulty with a tight tongue or a frenum tongue tie, as people call it. So yeah, the, the, um, the indication to help a child grow and develop could begin right after birth, depending upon what we see and find. And I think the pediatric dental specialty gets them earlier than me. I jump in around three to four. And, and then by perspective, some people think I'm early. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the earliest. <laughs> right. And, and it's, and it's uh, funny. I, I believe it's Dr. Boyd. I've heard him refer to, I think it was like a nine-year-old or 11-year-old is geriatric. And I'm thinking, I'm sorry, wait, yes. what? <laughs> because yes. you, you can get to him so early. It just, you have to kind of re- realign the way you think about things. Yes. What are you thinking about? Because obviously the earlier you're getting involved, there's less to think about as the teeth are concerned, but more to think about with the foundation. And that, that's where that whole airway dentistry comes from. Let's focus on the growth and development of the jaws because that's where our airway results from. You know, you, you get your best airway when you have great jaw growth and development, but mm-hmm. if you don't have great jaw growth and development, if the jaws are a little undersized, there's less room for the air to flow beautifully. So basically how easily we breathe through our nose is dependent upon how well the jaws are growing. Got it. And I saw something, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to this, but I, I saw you explain this and, and I'd like to ask for you to just do that for the parents that are listening now. The difference really between normal and abnormal when it comes to the foundation and the growth. Sure. So um, the idea behind normal growth and development is uh, it's something that we don't see very often. So if we're thinking about normal childhood growth and development in the jaw region, because we're we're talking about the head and neck for the jaws to grow. Mm -hmm. It used to be the case that a child would grow up and have their jaw growth be perfectly uh, happening along the way so that all of their teeth would go to place and they would never need braces and they would have all 32 land, meaning the wisdom teeth would pop in when they were 18 to 20. So that used to be the normal. Now that goes back several hundred years. Now today, the normal is that the jaw growth is underdeveloped. The teeth are crowded with a bad bite. So teeth that aren't where they belong. And almost rare is it that a child could you know, not need orthodontics to fix their teeth and very rare that they can fit their wisdom teeth. So we think about what what we consider today normal childhood growth and development to have all of your teeth go to place, avoid having braces and get your wisdom teeth to come in. That's still considered normal growth and development, 
but it doesn't happen very often. In other words, that kind of child who grows perfectly, all the teeth go to place, they never get braces and they get their wisdom teeth to come in. I call that a unicorn today. That we, we only see, we, we see that child one in several hundred. Wow. So I see a lot of children, several hundred children a year. We only meet one child out of several hundred who will on their own grow all the way up to have their wisdom teeth come in and not have any braces. So that's really still normal growth and development, but it's not common. So we start thinking about normal versus common. Now today it is common that children have underdeveloped jaws, crowded and or bad bites. So crowded teeth and bad bites, common to need braces and common to have their wisdom teeth out. Meaning the maximum you would have is 28 teeth. And if you have four teeth taken out during braces and your wisdom teeth out, you might only have 24 teeth. So the idea is while all of that is very common, that doesn't make it normal. So common and normal are two different things. Today, it is common for children to have their baby teeth be very tight together, no spaces between them, okay. and then a recognizable poor bite at a young age so that when they become a, a kid in the middle, like somewhere between six and 12, the new teeth come in crowded or out of place in a bad bite. And then the braces are going to go on for years and rubber bands are going to get used. And next thing you know, the wisdom teeth have to come out at minimum. So that's a common thing to see. And in my world, uh, that is most children have that pathway. Now, the normal growth and development pattern we described as being incredibly rare, today I call it a unicorn, when you go back several hundred years ago, that was the common as well. It was normal, it was common, where people would just kind of grow up and have all of their teeth go where they belong. And there's wonderful anthropology research to show that you know pre-industrial, pre-Western living, the infants graduated to a harder diet earlier. And so when you do have cultures that are pre-industrial, pre-Western living, and we're talking about several hundred years ago, all of societies, basically all of humanity had jaw growth and development that was excellent with 32 teeth going where they belonged. And with big jaw growth, appropriate normal jaw growth comes better breathing. So while that used to be common and normal being the same thing, today, normal growth and development, it still exists. It's just incredibly rare. So we call it a unicorn, whereas the common today is underdeveloped jaws, crowded teeth, bad bites. And that comes with then the need for braces, the need for wisdom teeth extractions. But more so than that, the bigger problem with underdeveloped jaws is that you don't breathe as well. Right, right. So basically we did, we're doing this to ourselves. It, kind, it is a self-inflicted wound. Yeah, unfortunately, sadly, when you read through the anthropology research on introducing an early soft diet, it, it creates the turning point. And, and it starts with food trade, and we start trading food. And when you go back, you're going back hundreds of years ago, where all of a sudden everything starts to shift towards this industrial Western mode. Uh, then all of a sudden we get into what is considered the baby food, which is pureed and mushed. And we, mm. we do it out of love because we think we're doing the right thing always. And right. I did it. I did the same thing for my three kids. So, you know, anyone listening, don't worry. I did it wrong too. Because uh, <laughs> right. I, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. You no don't know what you don't know. Don't have no idea back then. And mine are 21, 20, and 16. So you go back then. And I was just getting started on this pathway. I'm about 19 years into growth and development for children. And it's been a full swing since then. And my children had the pureed, you know, meals and even if we went to get natural hard food from the farmer's market, because you're thinking, oh, let's get the freshest, greatest stuff. Mm -hmm. We put it in the blender and we right. magic bulleted it to death. And, you know, right. so we basically had a liquid diet. And so that the cascade effect is that 
when you um, transition early to this softer diet, well, then you're not using the muscles appropriately. So if we're not going to use the facial muscles and the oral muscles appropriately, meaning we're having a liquid diet, basically, those muscles, when they're weak, then they don't grow the bone because we, we, the bone needs to yield to the muscle. So the way a human works is that the muscle will actually dictate the bone growth and it has to be used properly. So mm -hmm. with the early soft food, we have weaker muscles and weaker muscles don't promote good bone growth. Then the jaws don't grow enough. What we see down the road is, hey, my teeth are crowded and I have a bad bite. But it is all the result of an early soft diet. Sadly, we did this to ourselves. Yes. Right. So we're getting more of that kind of um, uh, retracted, retruded jaw. Like when you turn sideways, you can actually see it slanting more yes. in the profile. Yes. You know, that's exactly right. The profile is a telltale kind of view of, of the face, its growth and what it means. And so when, when we have normal growth and development, we're usually getting wide and forward really nice mm -hmm. wide and forward growth. That's how the jaws should grow wide and forward. And when the jaws grow wide and forward and we breathe in our nose, that air gets, it goes up and down. It's like an upside down letter J, the airway kind of thing. So the, the air goes in our nostril and it goes around a little curve and goes right back down behind the tongue into our lungs. So that space is bigger when the jaws grow wider and forward. So jaw growth that's wider and forward is excellent for us. And it delivers a profile that I like to describe when we look at someone's profile, their lips are well ahead of their eyes. Oh, so if we look at a profile and we see today, it's more common that the lips and the eyes are almost in the same plane, but that profile is labeled as a straight or flat profile. And it's interesting though, that wording because a straight or flat profile, when the eyes down to the lips are in the same plane, those are the words that we find in the sleep disorder, breathing and obstructive sleep apnea literature that show you're at risk for bad breathing and sleeping when you have a straight or flat profile. It's in line. Yeah. So, and then like you said, when the lips are below the eyes, then the chin is usually recessed or retruded and it's back. So we kind of, you know, in, in lay terms, we might think of it as, oh, the person doesn't really have a chin, but when the chin is really far back, then what happens is we get compensation in the neck and the neck starts to look like it's coming forward or more of a ramp than a jawline. Because as we push the jaw back, then the neck kind of pops out. It's compensation to help the air go by. So believe it or not, that, that look is someone who's compensating to breathe better. And that's the whole thing of collapse because we're not growing wide and forward. We're narrowing back. So narrowing back leads to that type of profile we see where the lips and mm -hmm. eyes are lined up. And it does lead to compensation where there's worse breathing going on. And that can be a, you know, a cascade of trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a lot um, in another podcast and on our website about signs, things that parents can look for. Yes. And um, I can't, I can't remember. I saw this on the, the airway health website, or if this was in uh, one of, one of your uh, videos I was watching, but you mentioned some symptoms that we don't really talk about. And I thought I'd bring those hmm. up so we could sure. really talk about those and how, you know, what the connection is. Cause to me, not all of them are intuitive. So Specifically, GI distress or reflux, yes. small or delayed growth, ear infections, and emotional instability. How do these play into yeah. signs or symptoms? Oh, definitely. So we think about this cascade of this early soft diet delivers mm -hmm. weaker muscles. The weaker muscles fail to develop the jaws. When the jaws don't develop well, we start breathing poorly. Well, what that means is that we don't breathe easily through our nose. So one of the first things that happens when the jaws aren't growing well is if there's 
resistance to nose breathing, either we can't breathe through our nose well, what the body does to compensate, it opens the mouth a little. And so when people think about mouth breathing, it is seen as a negative kind of word in a way, you know, we don't look at that in a kind way, but mm-hmm. you know, mouth breathing doesn't have to mean that your mouth is hanging open or you're dragging your chin on the floor, really just as little as lip separation. So when we don't breathe well through our nose, our lips will separate and we'll be breathing through our mouth. This is really the step that starts to trigger unhealthy. So when we think about the items you mentioned, mm-hmm. what happens is when we are poorly breathing through the nose, the mouth will do some breathing. So we could talk about some of the first little things a parent might notice. One of the things earliest really is mouth breathing. In other words, the lips are apart. Right. And how often during the day and night are the lips apart? Because a human being is an obligate nose breather. We are supposed to be breathing through our nose all day and night. It's a you know, 24-7, 365, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. nose breathing. And now once we have this underdeveloped jaws and we're not breathing well through our nose and our lips separate when we're breathing through our mouth, this changes how we work because the nose was built to filter, to warm, dehumidify, to accelerate, to prepare this air for the lungs. Mm-hmm. So when the nose is doing the breathing beautifully, the air gets purified and you know basically prepared for the lung. Then the lung can do its job perfectly, which makes the exchanges of things. We have to get rid of some things. We have to add some things in. So the idea is if the nose is doing the breathing all the time, we're going to remain healthy and we'll be functioning beautifully. But then when the mouth starts to do the breathing, this is where we start to break down. Now, knowing that the mouth breathing is the trigger for some of this, let's go through that list of the items you mentioned. I think the first one was the GI distress or reflux. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about that one. So the, basically we're talking about the digestive system. Okay. Now the digestive system is interesting in that, we, we loosely think about having a nervous system that runs two general components. We have a sympathetic nervous system and we have a parasympathetic nervous system. I know those are fancy, but people will remember these words coming up. The sympathetic nervous system generally is fight or flight. Hmm. Everybody knows fight or flight. You know, it happens right. in a car accident. You know, you're in fight or flight. If, if um, a dog was loose chasing you all of a sudden, if somebody's dog got out of the yard and was chasing you and barking at you and you'd be in fight or flight, you'd get a reaction, a change. So there are ways that we think about fight or flight naturally. Well, it's the sympathetic nervous system runs fight or flight. Now the parasympathetic nervous system does the opposite of that. It does rest and digest. So now we've got sympathetic running fight or flight, parasympathetic running digest, uh, rest and digest. So here's how this works. It's at night. At night when we go to bed and lay down, we're supposed to be in the parasympathetic component so that we get our rest and digest. Basically parasympathetic is mostly overnight when we're sleeping. Mm -hmm. So if we go to bed, and we're breathing well through our nose, then of course, parasympathetic runs smoothly and we get all of the rest and digestion happening that we're supposed to get. But the funny thing is, it's the breathing pattern that can upset the balance of the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So if we're breathing through our nose, the parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest runs beautifully. But if we lay down and go to sleep and our lips separate and we start breathing through our mouth, what happens is your brain knows that's not good breathing. You're supposed to be breathing through your nose and the brain tries to fix it for you when you're sleeping. But in order for the brain to shift gears, instead of doing the rest and digest, and by rest, we mean clean and rejuvenate you for the next day. Because when that parasympathetic system is running beautifully at night, your brain is very busy and active. It's actually awake doing all of the things that clean and reset you and recharge you for the next day. So Mm -hmm. that's in the rest and digest category. But the moment we start breathing poorly, mouth breathing, or worse, because if the lips separate and we're doing some mouth breathing, that's one category. But then, you know, worse would be snoring. 
And right. worse than snoring would be apnea, where you actually pause or you mm-hmm. notice that, oh, there's a hold of the breath and then a gasp, like, oh, you catch your breath again. That Those are like the three categories. Mouth breathing is the least, uh, the mild version, then snoring is a little worse and apnea is even worse. Well, once the mouth opens and we start breathing through the mouth, the brain knows, well, that's not good for us. Well, I have to fix that. So in order to fix the mouth breathing and help you with your breathing, the brain has to enter fight or flight. It's a protective mechanism. So basically, if you're not breathing well, the brain activates fight or flight. And when you activate fight or flight, it's kind of to save you, to rescue you, because poor breathing can lead to bad things. Right. The body needs oxygen in certain levels, and you have very little time. And we, we think about it this way, oxygen is the body's number one need. So if you think about how we get fuel to run ourselves, well, food, if we talk about food, you can go three weeks without food before you're really in serious trouble. You can go three days without water, you're in serious trouble, but oxygen, you get three minutes. So we don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of time without oxygen or having decreases in oxygen It's so harmful that the brain right. tries to protect us from that happening. And it has to do so quickly. So it knows mouth breathing, snoring, apnea, those are so bad. The brain has to kick into fight or flight to make you breathe better. Now, the problem is you can't do both things at the same time. You can't be in fight or flight and have rest and digest at the same time. Right. So right. when fight or flight, yeah, bad breathing at night when you're sleeping means fight or flight is active, but then the other one, rest and digest, is turned off. But when that's turned off, we don't digest properly. Now, the way that works is during fight or flight, there's oxygen redistribution. I know it's fancy words, but in fight or flight, let's say if you're thinking about um, you're being attacked, oh, you go to the zoo, you okay. go to the zoo and it's a beautiful day and you got your family and you're looking at this lion, which is in its cage. Okay. So you're safe. But if the lion jumped over the fence and landed in front of you and your family, your body's going to react and go into fight or flight mode. And all of a sudden you'll be best vision, best hearing, best senses, stronger. Your musculature is going to get a lot of flood of oxygen. Basically you get this burst for a short time to do your fight or flight. It's a survival mechanism. You would change in an instant. Well, the, the reason that all happens is because of, you know, redirecting things to give you things where you need it. So you don't need your digestive system during fight or flight. Right. If the lion jumps over the fence, you're going to need, you're going to need all the oxygen you can get into your muscles to fight or flight. So what happens is you draw from the areas you don't need. Well, the digestive system is in the parasympathetic or the rest and digest. If you take the oxygen out of the digestive system, it's not functioning properly. Mm-hmm. So now you have anything that is called gastrointestinal or digestive issues. It could be, you know, it could be anything from reflux uh, to upset stomach, to diarrhea, to constipation. Basically, anything that is a malfunction of the digestive system mm, okay. could be related to how you're breathing at night because your system isn't functioning right. You're spending more time in fight or flight trying to fix your breathing than you are in the digestive category. So you have a pathway to have digestive okay. issues in any category, reflux being one of them. Okay. And next thing you know, you're malfunctioning in the digestive category. So there's a pathway. There's a second pathway for reflux, which it has to do with the mouth breathing and the musculature. So we talk about that as well because- when the early soft diet is so soft and loose and we're just swallowing liquids basically, mm-hmm. and we have these weaker muscles, the weaker muscles for swallowing all of a sudden don't do their job appropriately. And because we're mostly swallowing liquid and not having to chew harder foods and work those stronger muscles, what happens is we start to swallow some air. So when the muscles are weaker, we use the word dysfunctional. So weaker muscles are usually dysfunctional, meaning they don't function properly. Mm-hmm. So when weaker muscles function poorly, we don't have a, a full compression of the tongue to the palate. 
and we don't make a vacuum swallow. So a, a perfect human swallow is by vacuum, meaning you seal everything off, the tongue goes to the roof of the mouth, and, then and there's swallow. a vacuum mm -hmm. to make the good swallow. You're only swallowing the contents that are there because it's been sealed off. But with some mouth breathing and weaker musculature, all of a sudden, a child or a teen or an adult, they might swallow some air. Now, swallowing some air is trouble because now the air starts filling up in the belly. Now, mm -hmm. when the air fills up in the belly, it's going to go both ways, of course. You know, one pathway is through, of course, flatulence. The other pathway is that it comes back out the top because it's almost like filling up a balloon too much. So you swallow so much air and there's a valve at the top because our mm -hmm. mouth leads to our esophagus, which leads to our stomach. Mm -hmm. And the esophagus, that long tube where it connects to the stomach has a little valve. Right. If you fill up the stomach with too much air and it exceeds the pressure that valve can hold, some air will pop out of the top. But as the air pops out of the top, so does the stomach acid. So swallowing air is a pathway okay. to getting reflux just okay. because you're swallowing too much air and the stomach can't hold it or pass it along the other end fast enough. Right. So if it, if it can't go out the other end fast enough, it has to come back out of the top which gives you some reflux. So reflux can be the direct result of swallowing air, which happens from swallowing poorly, thanks to having a weaker and dysfunctional set of muscles in the oral cavity. So we can think about that GI distress and or reflux being part of the balance of our nervous system, the sympathetic fight or flight or the parasympathetic rest and digest pathway. Or mm -hmm. we can think about it in just the swallowing mechanism related to how we might be swallowing air. There's two pathways to upset the digestive tract. Wow. Okay. So how does smaller delayed growth, how does that become sure. a sign or symptom? Again, similar to, similar to the sympathetic fight or flight and parasympathetic mm -hmm. rest and digest. The idea is most children, um, when, well, most of the growth hormone for children is released when we're sleeping. So it turns out growth hormone is okay. released when growth hormone is released when we're in parasympathetic drive. In other words, if we're in the rest and digest appropriately, we're getting our growth hormone. So we would be growing normally, but for children who are undersized or have smaller or delayed growth and maybe aren't on the height or weight chart, but everything else is correct. They have a good diet and they seem to be going to bed on time. Well, if the breathing is incorrect, if we have bad breathing going on mouth breathing or worse, can disrupt the parasympathetic or rest and digest, and we could be in fight or flight. Now, when we're in fight or flight, we don't get the growth hormone released. Fight or flight actually triggers cascades to release cortisol and other things that are meant to kind of save you in the short term. So it's more inflammatory by nature. And we might get cortisol released during fight or flight because we're trying to breathe better. So the, mm -hmm. the poor breathing activating the nervous system that does fight or flight at night can shut down and reduce the amount of growth hormone a child gets. So there are children who are undersized because they don't get enough growth hormone and it could be directly related to how they're breathing and sleeping. Which system is running? Are we trying to protect ourselves from bad breathing or are we actually in the parasympathetic drive? So we think about small growth as a possibility, especially when everything else is ruled out. Because if the child goes maybe to the pediatrician and an endocrinologist, let's say everything else checks out. Oh, we don't have anything going on with the pituitary or the thyroid, or let's say everything else checks out, but we're just like deficient in growth hormone. It may very well be the sleeping pattern. And wow. so a sleep study and sleep observation could help because we would want to know, is that child nasal breathing through the whole night? And when we say nasal breathing, it should be silent and invisible. So when a parent is thinking about, well, how are we breathing? Are the lips together? That's one level. Certainly good to have the lips closed all night long. Then we're in good shape. The next level would be, is the breathing silent and invisible? Because okay. 
It should be. In other words, if we have the right jaw growth and great size for the air to flow, when we're nose breathing, it should be silent and invisible, meaning the parent who's looking in on their child should basically not even be able to hear or see that they're breathing. That's beautiful breathing. The lips are closed and it's silent and invisible. If the lips are closed, but you can see and hear the breathing, what you have is you have nasal obstruction, but not enough to open the mouth yet, but it's coming. Eventually that'll get bad enough that the mouth will start to open. So the first level of trouble would be the lips are closed, but the nose is breathing, but I can hear it and see it. So it's struggling. So there's a, there's a point, there's like a trigger, you know, the nose will struggle to breathe for a certain amount, but then when it gets really bad, the body will open the mouth. The brain will say, Hey, that's enough of that. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Let me open the mouth and get some air in there. So we get that compensation. So if we can see and hear nasal breathing, we know we're bad. And if of course the mouth is open, anything with mouth open breathing is going to be trouble for us. That's how we're starting to get unhealthy. So we covered the gastrointestinal system. We covered Mm -hmm. the small growth and development. What was that next item you had? Um, The ear infections or tubes. Yes. Ear infections. So multiple ear infections. So we think about children who get ear infections and of course, you get we're talking chronic, chronic. Oh yeah. Multiple because you get multiple Mm -hmm. of these things because antibiotics don't treat the cause of the ear infection. You know, it treats the overgrowth or the, the imbalance in the bacteria that has occurred to give the child the infection. So what happens is we get the ear infection, we get an antibiotic and it will basically, it then kills the bad bugs and it reduces the, the quantity. So you have balance again, but if you don't treat the cause of the ear infection, these come back. Because you still have the same conditions that gave you the ear infection in the first place. Right. So you get another antibiotic and another antibiotic. And then whatever the formula is, if it's three infections in six months or nine months, you know, the pediatricians have a formula for it, then tubes have to go in. Tubes hold open this little tube. Well, we think about the ear. Well, on the outside, and the outside, the ear has an opening where you put your Q-tip, you know, that's where you clean it. But mm-hmm. all the way on the inside, there is a little opening at the back of the throat. It has a fancy name for it, the eustachian tube. Mm-hmm. The eustachian tube is where the inside of the ear kind of drains into the back of the throat. Now it's supposed to be draining. And if the fluid drains, it doesn't sit, it won't get infected. So the way for the fluid to get infected is it has to sit for a longer period of time. So like if it sits too long, it has the, you have a better opportunity to get an infection. Well, then the, the real question is, well, why isn't it draining? Because mm-hmm. that's where we start thinking about having the opportunity for the ear infections. So when okay. we think about why isn't it draining, we think about, well, what is the course or the mechanism by which it would drain in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it does revert back to a proper vacuum swallow. So I brought up the vacuum swallow earlier because we were going to build on it with this one. Mm-hmm. When a human being closes their mouth and their tongue compresses to the roof of their mouth and they make a perfect swallow by vacuum, that vacuum, as it goes down, draws the fluid out of that tube into the throat for swallowing. Gotcha. So a, a perfect vacuum swallow drains that fluid out. And it's almost like if you're thinking about swallowing in a vacuum, you have to kind of just think for a moment about the difference between positive and negative pressure. I know it's fancy, but it's easy to understand. It it would be easy to understand thinking about a balloon. So let's think about a balloon first. When you blow up a balloon, that's positive pressure. So you blow up the balloon with positive pressure. You're pushing the air into the balloon. Positive pressure Mm -hmm. builds the balloon bigger. Well, the negative negative pressure is easy to understand because most people understand, hey, if I found a helium balloon and I want to sound like Mickey Mouse. Right. Yeah. So what do you do with a helium balloon to sound like Mickey Mouse? Well, you put the balloon in your mouth and you suck the air out of it. Mm -hmm. But when you're sucking the air out of the balloon, it shrinks. 
negative pressure. Positive mm-hmm. pressure blows up the balloon. Negative pressure empties the balloon, collapses it, and you sound like Mickey Mouse if it was helium, right? Okay. Right. Well, negative pressure is what would drain fluid. So if we think about the balloon has air in it, so when we're sucking the air out of the balloon, the air is empty. When we swallow by vacuum, that swallow by vacuum, it's almost like the eustachian tube, which has the fluid, is the balloon, so to speak. Okay. So as we swallow by vacuum, that fluid's being pulled out into our throat to swallow. So basically every single proper swallow by vacuum drains the fluid, keeps the system running well. But as soon as a child has that early soft diet, then a weaker and dysfunctional tongue muscle, then the oral cavity doesn't behave properly. And we're mostly drinking our early food. So now we have a setup where we swallow air, Mm -hmm. but swallowing some air without a vacuum swallow, then the fluid never leaves the eustachian tube. It stays in there. And then welcome to fluid sitting too long in one place increases the odds or risk of getting ear infections. What ear tubes do then is they just hold it open because that little tube, that little tube has a sphincter at the end or a little closure at the end. But when you're swallowing perfectly, the fluid will come out of it. A tube just holds it open. So they put the tubes in there. So the fluid just leaks out. That doesn't treat the cause either. That treats the symptoms. So antibiotics and tubes treat the symptom. If you could correct the swallowing pattern, it, it treats the cause. The cause, yeah. Yeah. So we think about in that world, if we want to have jaw growth and development, we have appliances and things we can do to help the children grow their jaws better to fit their teeth. But we also have the other world, which is to get the muscles corrected. And why not strengthen and train the muscles to function properly? It's like physical therapy for the oral cavity. So when you go through myofunctional therapy, fancy words, orofacial myofunctional therapy, it just teaches the tongue and the other muscles how to do it right. So you kind of graduate out of this early soft diet delivering these muscles that only work one way, which isn't exactly good for us. Then we can train the muscle and strengthen it to function properly and you never have to get an ear infection again if you swallow properly. Nice. Ear infections, yeah. listening to Airway First with today's guest, Dr. Ben Morelia. You can find out more about the Children's Airway First Foundation and our mission to ensure that every child has access to screening, evaluation, and treatment of all children's airway disorders before the age of six on our website at childrensairwayfirst.org. The CAF website offers tons of great resources for parents, including videos, blogs, recommended books, comprehensive medical research, and so much more. We've also recently launched the Airway Huddle, a Facebook support group for parents of children with airway and sleep-related issues. You can access the Airway Huddle support group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Airway Huddle. Are you interested in becoming a guest or do you have an idea for an upcoming episode? Then shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. As a reminder, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. If you suspect your child might have an airway issue, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And now, let's pick up the conversation again with today's guest, Dr. Ben Moralia. There was was another one. Yep. One more, the emotional instability. Yes. So totally related to the um, fight or flight, you know, once we're breathing poorly, 
and the brain has to shift its gears to try to improve the breathing and we don't have proper rest and digest. Well, in the parasympathetic column where there's this rest component, what the brain does all night is it totally cleans and organizes you for the next day. So it's kind of like um, the analogy I like to describe this is like the show hoarders. So if you think about, yeah, redirecting to hoarders. Okay, so most people get an idea, even if you haven't seen all the episodes, hoarders, you know, someone will collect everything they see or touch or get their hands on and put it in their house and forever. And next thing you know, when you walk in their house, there's no room anywhere, wall to wall, floor to ceiling, filled up. You barely have space to get around. And it's just been collecting, collecting, collecting. And it's a big disaster in there. So very difficult to live in that house. Now, here's what's happened during the day. During the day, a human being collects information all day long. And it's basically every single thing that you collect from your senses. So what, what, everything you see, everything you touch, everything you smell, you hear, you taste, all of the senses collect all this information. During the daytime, it's kind of like hoarding. You okay. pull, everything gets put into your brain. So whatever your senses, your hands can grab it, your mouth can taste it, your nose can smell it, your eyes can see it, your ears can hear it. Whatever your senses all day long, they collect and they pile it into your brain. Your brain now looks like the hoarder's house during the day. Got it. Now, what happens during rest? When you go to bed at night, if you're breathing well and you have a beautiful parasympathetic or rest and digest cycle going, during rest, as soon as you fall asleep, part of the brain's function at night is to file all of it. So we have this like never ending file system in our brain. It's not like the house where you're confined to these walls and you have nowhere to put anything. The brain can file everything you accumulate all day long for your whole life. Mm-hmm. So if you're in rest and digest, what the brain does at night is it sets up and it almost looks like a scene out of the matrix with Keanu Reeves, where right. all of a sudden there's an endless aisles of things he can choose from. In some cases, it's bad things he's choosing, but the idea is it's endless files of things he can go and grab things. Well, Mm -hmm. your brain can file it all away. And when you wake up in the morning, you're clean and empty, so to speak, you're ready for the next day of accumulating. Well, if we are breathing poorly and we're Mm -hmm. in this fight or flight mode at night, that, that organization and assimilation and accumulation and filing, all that cleaning of the information doesn't get done. So now your brain is loaded with all the piles. You're a full hoarder up there and you didn't get to clean it and organize it at night. So when you wake up the next day, all you have is a big garbage pile from the day before and you're going to add to it. So your brain does become the hoarder house when you don't sleep and breathe well, because the brain doesn't get to do its job of finishing filing and assigning and putting away all that stuff, which it should be doing when we're breathing and sleeping well. So that poor breathing pattern does disrupt how we put away all that good information. So filing it all away can mean good things because when you do put it all away nicely, it builds better memory and then you can recall things nicely. So all of these things build into your long and short-term memory. All of it builds into your focus and your attention because as you're not resting well enough, that's one component. But the next thing is you have this massive pile of information from the day before that did not get filed appropriately. And now you're just adding on to it. It's kind of like walking around all day in the hoarder's house. You're walking around all day in the hoarder house and it's, it's awful and uncomfortable and it's a disaster and you can't get anything done because you're tripping on everything. So that's kind of, it's very stressful. Mm -hmm. It can be a very stressful day. And that's just one component. I mean, the the other obvious component is when you're in fight or flight in your sleep, you're definitely not getting a good quality night's sleep. Mm 
So you basically don't get the rest you were supposed to get because you're in this struggle all night long to be breathing better. So you almost have the sleep deprivation component going on. Mm-hmm. So you've got to sleep. The, the, the fancy words for it are really sleep fragmentation. So most parents understand sleep deprivation, especially when a parent has a newborn, because the first few weeks of a newborn, when it has to, right. you, have to you have to attend to it like every hour and a half. And so mm-hmm. every hour and a half for the first few weeks, that is sleep deprivation at the worst that it can be. Well, sure. that is kind of what's going on when your poor breathing is happening. Poor breathing means your body is being, they use the word arousal, but it's like a, a w- awakening, but not getting up and but running not around. totally awake. Yeah. Yes. Not totally awake, but you're in the state of alert. And so the idea is when you don't, when you have fight or flight running to try to help you instead of rest and digest, you're basically in an agitated state all night long. You're not getting proper rest. So you're in now we, we can loosely say sleep deprived, but fancy word or technical words are sleep fragmented. So okay. now your sleep is broken up. So you have this sleep deprived child who has this massive information every day piling on each other, living in a hoarder's life in their head. And of course, that's where the attention, the focus, the school troubles, behavior, all of this stuff stems from those two things that are happening because of the poor breathing triggering the change from resting to fighting or struggling to fix it. Got it. Got it. All right. So, and you also touched on something briefly, you um grow and fit teeth is the phrase you use. Yes. So I'm guessing that now we're, we're talking a little bit more about expansion, how you expand. Certainly. So yes. When, when we recognize these symptoms, like in a, in a parent's world, the easiest things for them to see would be things like the lips are separated or mouth breathing, Mm -hmm. um, crooked teeth, crowded teeth, a bad bite, you know, if the teeth aren't perfectly aligned, uh, then you know you have something going on. And then certainly downstream from all of that would be the symptoms of the the child who's struggling in the categories, whether it's gastrointestinal or behavioral or academically, or even things like headaches or bedwetting or nightmares. Like these are all stemming from that fight or flight reaction overnight. Mm -hmm. Those are the signs and symptoms. What we look in the mouth for is kind of markers for growth and development measurements, and where teeth should be positioned because we do know where they should be ideally. So a set of baby teeth should have certain credentials. Then we would know, Hey, that child's growing and developing. Well, we can just kind of watch and let it go. And that child who is growing and developing well in the jaws usually has little to no symptoms to go with it. So it's a good match. And they'll have space right between their teeth. That's like the number one sign in the baby teeth. There's gaps between them. And interestingly, we're supposed to have gaps between all of the baby teeth. So that research was done Mm. by Dr. Edward Bogue a long time ago. And he basically taught us that if all of the baby teeth have spaces between them, that's a good start. But if you don't have gaps between all the baby teeth, well, the chances are the permanent teeth are going to, they're going to come in crowded and not fit. And then progressively as it gets worse, but then the wisdom teeth don't fit, you know, so you end up with less teeth. So the idea is sometimes we see a child who has baby teeth and they're so well placed and perfectly aligned. It looks like a little doll's teeth. Mm-hmm. But they're connect. They're all connected. Yeah, that's bad. That's bad because there's no space in those teeth. While it looks amazing when you're three and four, the permanent teeth are really going to be crowded. That's a very crowded mouth coming. So the parent not seeing gaps between the teeth and any other symptoms that go along with this kind of poor breathing and sleeping, we would recognize by measurement and by teeth. Oh, there's no gaps in the baby teeth. Or here come the permanent teeth and they don't fit already. And then our next step would be identifying that it is not about the teeth. So we don't try to force the teeth straight. We got to work on growing the foundation. So the pathway to really help a child is to grow the foundation because 
the two jaws, we're talking about the upper and lower jaws. Well, the, the upper jaw, it doesn't just hold the top teeth in it. It actually makes your nose. Mm-hmm. So the, we, the fancy word for the upper jaw is the maxilla. Well, the maxilla is the bone that holds our top teeth in, but it turns out the maxilla also is what builds your nose. So when the maxilla is really big and wide and forward, as it should be, the nose, the internal chamber is bigger. So you have better breathing. Okay. So we jump in early because when we have symptoms and measurements of underdevelopment, what we're looking at is let's grow the jaws better. So we talk about expanders. We talk about expanders. We talk about guidance appliances. We talk about myofunctional therapy. We talk about nasal hygiene. We talk about things that can help a child to grow and develop properly. Let's get caught up to where we should be and keep going correctly. Because if you address the foundation early, when the child still uh, can do that easily, all of a sudden, when the foundation starts growing better, the teeth start going where they belong so they can correct themselves. So you get some auto correction in the teeth, just getting the foundation going well. But the bigger difference is when the foundation starts getting wider and forward, all of a sudden it looks nice because the teeth look good, but the symptoms start to fade away. Meaning, hey, all of a sudden the child sleeps with their mouth shut and they breathe through their nose. All of a sudden they do sleep through the whole night. They don't even wake up in the middle of the night. They stop wetting the bed. They stop having nightmares. They wake up refreshed in the morning. We don't have a morning struggle going on. And all of a sudden school improves. So we see a lot of academic performance increases when the children all of a sudden have better breathing and sleeping at night. So the, you know, the downstream effect of growing the foundation first is tremendous because it not only helps the teeth go where they belong, which is like 10th on the list of things we need. It really helps the child to breathe well, sleep well, and then function better. So we're excited about the things, the changes we see when we use expansive techniques to grow the foundation first, we're gonna leave the teeth alone till later on. We really don't address the teeth till we're 12 or 13. That's when alignment for the teeth is appropriate. Okay. But that goes a whole lot better if you did the foundational growth first. You know, it Mm. turns out the early years when we, I know we think about the jaw bones as bones and we hear the word bones and we think it's hard, but in a child, it's like a wet sponge. It's kind of moldable. It's still malleable. But yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The jaw bones in a child can be guided and kind of nudged and teased and coerced and, you know, pushed and they can be redirected. And so a lot of that happens when you redirect the musculature because it's the muscles that should be doing it in the first place. So why not recruit them to work with us? So we have a combination of, well, there's appliances we could use, but there's also techniques where we can strengthen and redirect the muscles because if they behave properly, it produces the bone growth they should have done. You can catch up when you're younger. So it's a huge advantage to work with the muscles. And that's why the oral facial myofunctional therapist is a key part of treatment and, and should be part of every child's growth and development because then if you get at the musculature, you're really going after the cause. Right, right. Well, and it makes sense that they're younger, you know, they're more malleable, they're gonna respond. Can you use these kind of techniques on adults? There are different appliances and techniques for adults. So when we get to adults, we are talking about mature bone. So when you have mature bone, it it can be guided. It's just going to be different appliances. It'll take a lot more time. And of course, we're talking in the non-surgical category. You know, in an adult, if we were thinking about doing something rapidly, we'd be talking about surgical intervention because then you get in there, you do some jaw surgeries, you can do big changes in short times. But right. if we're thinking about in the growth and development category, well, for an adult with mature bone, it's going to be you know different appliances over extended periods of time, still involving the myofunctional therapy because you still want to have the musculature behaving itself properly to help you along the way. It's not as rewarding in adults because it does take a very long time And a lot of adults are so far into their sleep apnea that a lot of their health issues are significant. 
And so it's much more rewarding in the children because you can have the effect in a, in a short time and you can deliver from unhealthy to healthy. In some times it's just days or weeks uh, oh, wow. in, in children. So it, it, I work on mostly, all this other. Yes. Why not it get worse and worse and yeah. worse? You know, so the, the whole idea behind getting involved in a child early is that because the bone is immature and kind of softer, you can make the effect bigger in a shorter amount of time and get good jaw growth, better breathing, better sleeping, and basically heal that child. Whereas in an adult, now we've got mature bone, it's hard, it thinks it's done growing. And then there are very particular and technique sensitive pathways to try to help that bone grow a little more. And while it is possible by some research, it's much more difficult, time consuming, and and almost a struggle because some of the appliances you have to wear, they're difficult to speak with, then you're trying to wear them during the day and at night. It can be inconvenient uh, and not painful in any way when we're talking about non-surgical therapy for the adults, but not as rewarding and much more of a struggle. It's the kind of thing that you, you want to fix early because mm-hmm. later later is much more trouble. Later, later is tough. Stop. Got it. Got it. We referenced earlier tongue tie. So I'd like to yes. go ahead and chat about that just for a few minutes if we could. First of all, exactly. What is a tongue tie or lip tie or a cheek tie, which I sure. learned about a month ago what that actually was. And how does, how do those, because they, when you think about, you know, a tongue relaxes, it falls back. I get it. It blocks the airway, but logically you think a tongue tie, it's going to hold it in place. It's going to keep it from doing that. So hmm. how, you know, as, right. as a lay person, that's what you think. So how do these actually impact the airway? Yes. So the, the tongue, it's kind of shaped like a, uh, an L almost. So when we think about someone who opens their mouth and the piece that we see is like the mm-hmm. top piece, but then the tongue kind of rolls back and goes down a little. So it has this curve shape to it. Well, the, okay. the tie, the tie we're talking about is under the tongue. So it's, if you lift your tongue up, it would be like a little, and it's a frenum. The fancy word is frenum. In, in my office, when we're talking to parents or kids, we call it a leash and leash, like you walk your dog on a leash. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, you know, have, the movement. Yeah, there are different kinds yeah. of leashes. You know, there are some some dogs need a short leash so they stay right next to your side. But then there are other dogs that can have a 30 foot leash because they behave themselves and they can be further away from the owner. So you have these mm-hmm. different length leashes. OK, well, we have different lengths of frenums. So if you have a shorter frenum, it restricts the movement of the tongue. But when the frenum is short, it's under your tongue. It's holding it down. Okay. But holding holding the top part down means that the back part gets pushed back. So the way the tongue works, because it's this, it's kind of a mass of tissue. If you, if you press down on the top part, the back goes backwards. So you have this L shape of the tongue kind of thing. And if the top is lower then the back part is back farther, that interferes with the airflow. So a, a tighter frenum doesn't help with airflow. It, it makes it worse because holding the top or front part down keeps the back part Pushing back. The back. Yeah. And the, the bigger trouble with the tight frenum is that the tongue can't elevate to the top. So it can't seal off and make a vacuum swallow. So right away, the swallow is poor. With the tighter frenum, the tongue can't really press into the maxilla or upper jaw. It can't help grow the upper jaw. So a lot of times with a tight frenum, you see cross bites, meaning the top teeth are actually narrower than the bottom teeth. And that's the opposite of how we work. You know, our teeth are supposed to come together kind of like a shoebox works where the lid is over the bottom. So our top teeth should be the lid and the bottom teeth would be the bottom of the shoebox and the top teeth surround the bottom teeth. So we kind of fit together like that. But with a tight frenum, the top could have less growth and development than the bottom. And it could be inside of the bottom teeth. That's like a reversed or cross bite. 
that's you know one of the results of having that tight frenum. So you know the tight frenum interferes with certainly the growth and development. It interferes with the breathing, the swallowing. It basically a tight frenum helps a human being malfunction, and that malfunction could be seen as early as birth because the tighter the frenum is, the more restricted the tongue is, the more difficult the breastfeeding would be. So you could gauge it early by the breastfeeding. In other words, was there any difficulty in breastfeeding and or pain associated with it? Because the more painful it is and the more unsuccessful it is, usually there's a tighter frenum involved. And so, you know, frenums, because they come in different length, you could have a mild, moderate or severe problem with the frenum. It doesn't have to be, it's not like a light switch where it's on or off. It's kind of like a light switch with a dimmer. You have a whole range of what's going on. So since you have these different frenums, you could have someone who, okay, the breastfeeding is successful, but it's a bit of a struggle and painful. Um, And then you could have the other end of it where, oh my goodness, the breastfeeding is perfectly successful and it's not painful. And then there's the one where, oh my God, it's totally unsuccessful. The baby can't even latch at all. And it's very uncomfortable, very painful, and nothing's happening. So there's this range of what could go on. The lingual frenum, the lingual meaning tongue, we talk about that one the most one because it's the most common. So the lingual frenum or the one on the tongue is the most common. And you mentioned the other ones, the, the mm-hmm. lip the lip tie, like the upper lip has a little tie connecting it to the bone there. Mm-hmm. And the cheek ties are on the sides. The cheek ties are on the sides. Well, the significance of those is that if the, the lip tie is too tight, it holds the upper lip tightly in. Holding okay. the upper lip tightly in, now you have a barrier against forward growth. Because the tighter ah. the upper lip, yeah, the tighter the okay. upper lip is held back, the harder it is to grow forward. So you're, you're growing forward if there's freedom to grow forward. But if there's something working against you, it could, you know, delay or basically reduce the amount of forward growth you get. So we do check second for the upper lip to see if it's being held back by a frenum that's too tight. That's the lip frenum. Okay. The cheek ones, there are four on the side. There's two on top, two on the bottom on the sides. Those frenums, when they're too tight, they hold the cheeks in tight. But when you hold the cheeks in tight, basically that's resistance to growing wider. So if we want to grow wide and forward, we don't want any resistance on the outside working against us. So we look for those ties to see, hey, are those interfering with what should be good wide and forward growth? Some kids have tight frenum on the cheeks and or lip. Releasing them means that it takes the lip and releases that pressure and the cheeks releases so that you can be growing wider and forward without an an opponent, let's say, working against you. So the most common is the tongue one. The tongue is most common. Then second is the lip and third are the cheeks. Got so it. In, in that order, we check. Some kids have one of them that's trouble. Some kids have all of them that's trouble. So if we think about, you know, we've got this early soft diet working against us because now we have this weak and dysfunctional muscles. That's not growing us mm-hmm. well. But then the second part of the fire that's going on is that we might even have tight frenum working against us. And it could be more than one. You combine the two and it can really be for some bad growth and development in a child who's struggling. Wow. All right. Thank you for that, by the way. That that was very, uh, that was helpful. I like, I just, I couldn't, you know, for the life of me, I've been sitting here trying to figure out cheek ties, how that could impact it, but they can't see you visually. I'm watching you explain how it pushes it in. As soon as you put your hands up, it's this light bulb. Like, oh, that's, that's what does it. Right. Right. Um, when we're talking uh, parents, especially parents of newborns, uh, or first-time parents, especially. I didn't know this as a first-time parent myself. When should you start bringing them into a dentist? And then does everybody need an airway dentist? Is this just, at this point, a good rule of thumb and something as parents we should be looking for? 
It probably is something we should be looking for because that early soft diet is, you know, the word is ubiquitous, but everywhere. Yeah. It's it's everywhere. We basically transition from breastfeeding to soft foods and soft foods between zero and one years old or one to two. It it really sets the the tone for the muscles of the jaws being weaker. And so we're going to have underdeveloped kids and, you know, almost all of the kids we see will not grow fully to 32 teeth. You know, that's, Kind of how you know that the muscles and the are weaker and the jaws are underdeveloped is that almost no child is going to grow on their own to 32 teeth with full grown jaws. So right. now that we know we've got this, we've got this societal pattern in place, but now we know, you know, at an early age, there's going to be this issue. Well, if you have a really good pediatric dentist that is in the airway space or in this philosophy, they would know basically at birth that you could attend to the frenum if there were breastfeeding issues. So, you know, number one would be if a parent would like to breastfeed, but is having difficulty, then you're hopeful that either a nurse or a lactation consultant would guide you to a pediatric dentist, someone who could release the frenum. So you could be successfully breastfeeding if you choose. And if it's the tongue or the lip, that would be the earliest way to get involved if you're having that difficulty. Other than that, well, now you have breastfeeding beginning. And then after that, the the soft diet. So It would be, you know, in my world, I'm seeing the children at age three on up, but in Dr. Kevin Boyd, who's a pediatric dentist in Chicago area, he sees them, you know, it could be after birth because of the frenum revisions needed and as little as six months and 12 months to evaluate, do we need to help that child with their frenum and or sleeping and breathing? Then of course, by 18 months to two years, he can treat them already because in the pediatric model, you can start treating. So Yep. There are doctors who treat them very early. Dr. Kevin Boyd is one of them. Dr. Lawrence Kotlow is another. Uh, those are two early mentors of mine. They're both pediatric dentists. Um, Dr. Kotlow is in Albany, New York. But there are many others. Like, there are many others like this. So the idea would be, sure, uh, today, because of that early soft diet, a parent should be thinking that as they recognize symptoms of poor breathing or mouth breathing, they probably should think about finding an airway dentist someone who's more focused on the growth and development of the jaws than the actual teeth. Then you kind of know you're in the right space. If they're talking jaw growth and development, sleeping and breathing, they want to help you in that direction. You're in the right place. If they start talking more about the teeth being moved around, you might have to look a little further. Got it. And how do you find an airway dentist? So there are different ways to find, you know, obviously there's, you know, Google and you can start searching and you start asking, um, you know, I do teach a lot of this. And so um, uh, as part of the educational process, I have a, a partner, Lauren Gates, and we founded a little company called Airway Health Solutions. Mm-hmm. And basically with that company, what we do is we do teach doctors, uh, we teach dentists who want to learn how to treat children through teams, through adults in this, you know, philosophy. And then we mentor them as well. And with, with the last three to four years, we've, we've trained over 250 offices. And so we have a doctor locator. And if you went to airwayhealthsolutions.com, you would find a doctor locator map. And it has little dots on that map all over the country. And if you pull up one of those offices from that website, you would know they were trained by me. And I have now 19 years experience. I've been treating children for the last 19 years in their growth and development. And uh, it turns out... Um, we've had such a nice success at helping those children heal and lose their symptoms as well as, you know, grow and develop beautifully into all of their teeth that we started to teach it. And it's one level that I could do this in my own community where you help 
an X number of kids per year. Mm-hmm. But if I then trained another office to do it somewhere else, now it's things can become kids. exponential. Yeah. So it made sense that I needed to teach it more. So uh, there, that's one pathway to learn. You could go directly to um, airwayhealthsolutions.com and look at the doctor locator. And then you would be rest assured you'd have a doctor in there that would be able to help you out. Perfect. And I will make sure there's a link to that in the show notes and on our website um, in our section for you know, helping parents where to start. Just uh, full transparency, we already have that link in there. Oh, um, great. That, that's one of the tools we use to, to help parents. Terrific. So, um, at the end of every episode, I always like to just turn the floor over to the guest so that you can have the final thought if there's anything that we didn't cover or if there's just a message you want to leave with parents. Oh, sure. Thank you very much for having me. It's a wonderful session and I hope it helps a lot of people get some earlier attention. So yeah, I think the the most important thing I'd like parents to to take away from it is that it is very helpful uh, to treat the child earlier. And so, you know, part of what a parent might hear is that, oh, you know, don't worry now. It's normal. That's fine. They'll outgrow it. There's a lot of things that are thrown out there because so many kids have these symptoms. They start calling it normal or they'll outgrow it. But usually when you're hearing things like that, you're hearing it from people who don't know how to treat the cause. They only know how to work on the symptoms or maybe not even that. And so they guide you towards doing nothing. That doesn't help the child. So I, I would I would encourage parents to dig deeper and look more when you realize or think about, you know, my, there's something with my child has these symptoms and it, it is not normal and it's not okay. And it can be fixed early. You just need to go in the right direction. So generally speaking, uh, parents who recognize sleeping, breathing, or even just crowded teeth and bad bites kind of thing, those symptoms that are related to the behavior, the school performance, all of these little things we talked about over the hour, you you want to start consulting with an airway trained dentist so that you could have help early. And early is better. It is much harder to fix an adult in this space. And why let the child kind of struggle all the way through only mm-hmm. to have difficult options to fix later when actually if you if you're working on the kids early it's it's easy so to help a child grow and develop early is appropriate i wouldn't accept it's normal or they'll outgrow it anymore i would just pursue a different line for someone who's focused on the foundation you can help your child with a long list of symptoms uh, that we touched on many of them today and it's that's not even exhausting you know in 1 hour we touch on the tip of the iceberg but Anything that your child might be struggling with, if there is a sleeping or breathing issue related to it, as we described, you have opportunities to help your child and they can be cured because you're dealing with treating the cause early. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again to today's guest, Dr. Ben Moralia, for sharing his medical insight and to each of you for listening to today's episode. If you're new to our podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or comment telling us about what you enjoyed most. You can stay connected with the Children's Airway First Foundation by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can also join us via our Facebook parent support group, the Airway Huddle, at facebook.com backslash groups backslash airway huddle. If you'd like to be a guest or have an idea for an upcoming episode, shoot us a note via the contacts page on our website or send us an email directly at info at childrensairwayfirst.org. Remember, this podcast and the opinions expressed here are not a medical diagnosis. 
If you suspect your child might have an airway issue or sleep-related disorder, contact your pediatric airway dentist or pediatrician. And finally, thanks to all the parents and medical professionals out there that are working to help make the lives of kids around the globe just a little bit better. Take care, stay safe, and happy breeding, everyone.